0: Welcome to the Hills. If you're in person at inter West Fort Worth, South Lake Campus, or watching online, I'm particularly glad you're with us today because we're beginning a series that I think has a significant uh, impact for your faith development. But first, I want to say thank you. I announced last Sunday that my wife and I were celebrating our 40th anniversary. We took a trip, we had a wonderful time. And during the week, we received so Many thoughtful expressions, words of kindness and affirmation, notes, texts, emails. It was really, really sweet. There was only one awkward thing about it, and that is we got several comments of, y'all don't look old enough to have been married for 40 years. What's your secret? You see, I've reached that stage in life where almost every compliment I get is followed by, for someone your age. Any nice thing the doctor says to me for someone your age? I played golf last week with a stranger on the 18th hole. He said, you really hit the ball well for someone your age. Well, it's true that when you get to a certain age, you have to take uh, in mind, how can I appropriately uh, stay as healthy as possible? So let me tell you what I've done. I started a workout program for someone my age that I think will help you too. So I started by getting two five-pound potato sacks. And here was the go. To hold them arms fully extended out for one solid minute. It was hard. It strained your chest cavities, your abs. But I got after two weeks where I could do that for one minute. Then I graduated to a 10-pound potato sack. Same thing, only this time it took about two months, but I got to where I could hold it out straight for one minute. Then I went to a 20-pound potato sack. And I don't want to tell you how long it took, but got to where I could hold it out for one straight minute. Now, here's important next thing you do. Put a potato in each sack, okay? That makes it a lot harder. The point is, you never reach a stage in life where you don't need to try to stay as fit as you can. And you never reach a stage in life where you don't need to exercise. Your faith. Now, faith is easy when life is up and to the right. But easy faith will let you down when life takes you down. And life will. But isn't it true? The people that have had the greatest impact in your life are not people who've had an easy life. Where it was almost always just up and to the right. The people that have had the greatest impact on your life are the people who exercised Hard faith. Now, what do I mean by hard faith? I'm talking about the kind of faith that is hard to come by and the kind of faith that will sustain you when hard times come by. So I thought after the season that we've been through, it would be good for us to take a short uh, few weeks and just talk about faith when it's been hard. What we're gonna do for three weeks is we're gonna look at a book in the Old Testament called the Book of Habakkuk. Now, the first thing you must do to study the Book of Habakkuk is find it, okay? It's next to the book called Nahum, which probably didn't help you at all. Now, Habakkuk is considered in the Old Testament to be one of the minor prophets. Not because he's less important. It just means his book is short. It's only three chapters. And I would encourage you every day for the rest of the month, just take 10 to 15 minutes and read the book of Habakkuk. And the first thing you're going to notice when you do is that he is not like any of the other prophetic books for one reason. He never addresses the people. All the other prophetic books talk to the people. But Habakkuk doesn't because Habakkuk's biggest problem is not with the people. It's with God. It's with God's inaction regarding the way the people are acting. He cannot understand why God tolerates so much injustice in the nation that Habakkuk loved so much. So look at the very first verses of chapter one: "How long, Lord, must I call for your help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Their law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails the wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Now let me set the context. We saw uh, last series that God rescued the Hebrew people from Egyptian bondage. They entered a land called Canaan and they formed a new nation, 12 tribes, but one nation called Israel. And they were one nation called Israel for hundreds of years. But then after King Solomon died, the nation split into two separate nations. The northern 10 tribes kept the name Israel. The southern two tribes took the name Judah. And both kingdoms went into a decline in their spiritual vitality. Apostasy, idolatry, injustice. The northern kingdom's decline was quicker. God judged them by sending a nation called Assyria. They were taken captive, and they disappeared from the world scene. Now, Habakkuk was born after that. He's a prophet to the southern kingdom. And he's seeing them do the same things that ruined the northern kingdom. Everywhere he turns, he sees injustice and cruelty and much evil. And that's why his faith is struggling. This is not new. The problem of evil has challenged the faith of many. I bet you've talked to somebody who said, the reason I don't believe in God is because there's too much evil in the world. Now here's the irony. All the evil in the world is one reason why I believe in God. Because evil is only a problem if God exists. If God doesn't exist, why do you have a problem with the existence of evil? Richard Dawkins, well-known atheist author, in his book River Out of Eden, a Darwinian view of life, he wrote this. The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose. No evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now that worldview doesn't give me a lot of meaning, but I love the intellectual honesty. If there is no benevolent deity behind everything, if this is just a mechanistic universe and you're just a cosmic accident, you should expect life to be cruel, random, and unfair. But that's not Habakkuk. He is sure of the existence of God. He's also sure of the character of God, but that's where his faith is struggling. He says in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Now, watch the tension. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? God, you are holy. God, you are good. God, you are powerful. God, you are the rock. So, what do you do when you believe in the rock? But life has rocked you. I'm going to use this line in every sermon. We need a faith that will sustain us when we're between the rock and a hard place. And that's where a lot of us have been the last 15 months. In a hard place. We have been in a place where easy faith just won't cut it. Now, I grew up with easy faith. I don't really remember the first 20 years of my life any significant event that challenged my faith very much at all. And then I became a preacher. I'm 21 years old. And just a couple of months after I became a preacher, I have to preach a funeral. I'd only been to three or four funerals in my whole life. Now I have to preach one for a 21-year-old bride diagnosed with leukemia three weeks after her wedding and died before her first anniversary. Easy faith has nothing to say to something like that. A few weeks later, I got a phone call from my old college housemate, Max Lakato, that another one of our housemates, Tim, had died in a car wreck. Now, I always thought someday I'd go to the funeral of somebody I went to college with. I didn't think it'd be less than a year after I graduated. One of the reasons I asked you to write on a piece of paper the loss that you are dealing with right now is because we are not in a time where easy faith is going to cut it. We need a faith that is hard to come by. The kind of faith that will sustain us when hard times come by. We need a faith that's going to hold us up when life takes us down. This is what God said to Habakkuk. One of the most important verses in the Bible, quoted several times, is chapter 2, verse 4. When God said, Habakkuk, the righteous, will live by his faith. You need a faith you can live by. You need a faith that will hang on when hard times come by. That same verse from the message. But the person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive. Really alive. To be really alive, you need loyal and steady believing. You need a faith that has been exercised. Now that's the kind of faith we're going to talk about for three weeks. The kind of faith that holds on to the rock when life gets rocky. We're going to use phrases right out of the book of Habakkuk. Next week, we're going to talk about how long faith. You know what I mean. Where you believe in God. You believe God's going to give you an answer, but He sure is taking His sweet time giving you one. How long faith. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about even though Faith. Am I going to find strength in God even when I don't get the answer I want? But today, we're going to talk about the hardest faith of all. Why faith? Why are things like they are if God Is who he says he is. Why faith lives between how things are and who God is. Habakkuk had a lot of whys. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Habakkuk couldn't reconcile the deity that he thought was on the throne with the reality that he saw on the street. See, here's the thing. Your why is ultimately going to be answered by your who. In other words, you question God on the basis of what kind of rock you think He is. Let me illustrate. Several decades ago, a best-selling book was published called Why do bad things happen to good people? It was written by a rabbi. Named Harold Kushner. Who did not write abstractly. But wrote from a hard place. The death of his son. His precious son was born with a genetic disease. That not only led to his early death. But to his Painful death. And as Rabbi Kushner tried to resolve the why with who, he concluded, God is good, but he can't do everything. You've heard the prayer, God is great, God is good. Well, Rabbi Kushner decided that God is good, but he's not great. Not if you mean he can do whatever he wants. Because if he was great, he would have healed my son. Now, some people go to the other extreme. Some religions say, our God or our gods are great, but they're not good. And that's why life is so hard. See, you're going to resolve your why on the basis of who it is that you call the rock. So Habakkuk would never have asked why if he was a polytheist. If he believed in there's a lot of gods out there, then, you know, maybe the other gods are just stronger than my God right now. That's why. Or if he was a deist, there's a God who made everything, but he just doesn't care that much. He's kind of off at a distance, and he's not going to get involved in your life. That's why. Or again, if he was an atheist, and he had intellectual honesty, then he would say, you know what? There is no God. We're all just cogs of a machine, and it's not supposed to be fair. That's why. But Habakkuk, if you had have said, who is God, would have said, God is one. There are not a lot of gods. they are just one God. And God is good. He is holy. He can't do anything bad. And God is great and sovereign. And on the throne. And you know what? I bet most of you listening to me right now, you believe the same thing about God Habakkuk did. And if you do, you're going to have to exercise some why faith. Why are things the way they are if you are who I think you are? You're going to have to wrestle with what you understand about God and what You just don't understand why. Now, I've always said why is overrated. Because if you do receive understanding, that doesn't mean the resting is over. Because sometimes when God explains why, we don't like the answer we get. Isn't that the truth? And so God gives Habakkuk an answer to why. God, why are you letting so much evil and injustice go on here in kingdom Judah? So God says, well, okay, here's my answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. So God says, I've got to answer, Habakkuk. I do see all the cruelty. I see all the injustices. So I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and they're going to come and judge the whole nation and take them captive. <laughs> you ever notice? We really want to hear from God until God says what we don't want to hear. And so Habakkuk went from don't you care to well, how's that fair? He has a new why. Now, verse 13, why are you silent? while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. God, they're worse than we are. Seriously? Why? He went from thinking God wasn't doing enough to thinking God was doing too much. And by doing so, he revealed that God was not meeting his expectation of who we thought God should be. So put on your seatbelt for this next sentence. Ready? Hard places in life often expose a hard truth about our faith. That God, if he exists, does so to give me the life I want. Oh my, somebody give me a mic so I can drop it. I'm going to say that again. Hard times often expose that at the core of our faith is disbelief. God, if you're there, your job is to give me the life I want. That kind of faith will not sustain you when hard times come by. That kind of faith will shatter you. We need a faith that's going to hold on to God no matter what happens. We need hard faith. I read an example of that in a book by Tim Keller on suffering. He told a story about a theologian named William Willimon who as a very young pastor heard that a couple in his church had had a baby and there were problems. So he went to the hospital. He went into the room with the couple, and their doctor was there. And he learned that their third child was born with Down's syndrome and also with a respiratory issue that could be corrected with simple surgery, but if not corrected, would lead to the baby dying in a few days. And the doctor's advice was to let nature take its course and eliminate the problem. And the wife said, what do you mean by problem? And the doctor said, well, raising a special needs child. It'll be hard on your marriage. It'll be hard on your other two children. Why would you want to go through that kind of suffering? And she said, well, we have had a life free of much suffering. But suffering could be a blessing to our family. It could teach us to love better, to serve more, to be more selfless, to lean more on God's strength. And the doctor's exasperated and turns to young William Willimon and says, would you reason with them and talk some sense into them? And what Willimon said was the doctor didn't realize they were using reason. It was just a different kind of reason. You see, the doctor was using reason based on his worldview." His dominant narrative was, we're all just accidents. We're not even supposed to be here. And the primary purpose of our meaningless existence is just avoid all the pain you can. And if that's your worldview, the doctor was making good sense. Get rid of the problem. But they had a different worldview. This world is under the control of a good God. That suffering can be redeemed. That suffering can mold and bring us strength and Him glory. And one day He will come and end all suffering. And they were using perfect sense according to their world view. And so the surgery was performed. They took their son home and raised him with great joy. They exercised hard faith. And I've learned something about people who have a faith that can't be shaken. It's probably because they lived through a time when their faith was shaken. And they took their faith and made it stronger. So let me challenge you to exercise hard faith. To exercise why faith. Three things about that. First, White faith is a faith that can be burdened. It's right to be burdened by wrong. See, the only way you can survive going through life with easy faith is just to ignore what's going on in the world. Just to somehow block out the suffering in the world. I read about a professor who's in a third world country where there was much poverty He went to a restaurant, ordered a plate of food. was sitting by a window. He noticed a whole bunch of hungry street kids put their faces up to the window looking at his food. He lost his appetite. The store owner saw what was happening and responded, not by taking food to the street kids, but by pulling down the blinds and saying, now they can't see you. Enjoy your food. Hard faith. Will challenge you it'll make you cry but it's better to cry why than never cry at all it is better to have hard faith than grow a hard heart why faith is a faith that can be burdened second it's a faith that runs to God with that burden instead of running away from God, Hard faith presses in instead of pulling away. So when Habakkuk had a problem with God, he had no problem taking it to God. He said in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He fully expected to have a conversation with God. God welcomes hard conversations. He's not afraid of them. By taking his question to God, Habakkuk was exercising his faith. He was saying, I would rather wrestle with you than do life without you. That's why I wanted to start the series by asking you to take something to the Lord that's been hard for you lately. Bring it to God. Press in to God and expect Him to give you an answer, and I believe He will. And when you don't know what God is going to say, press into what you do know about God. I had the privilege in this room a few weeks ago to attend the funeral of Donna Young. Donna and David, longtime members of this church, we sent them as missionaries to Sri Lanka after the tsunami. Donna was a great prayer warrior. At the service, her son Brandon spoke of his reaction when he got the news of his mother's sudden unexpected diagnosis of fatal breast cancer. He took it to the Lord And said, God, what is your will for my mother? Is your will to heal her or to take her? What is your will for my mom? And he heard the Lord say, to know me. And Brandon replied, well, Lord, she does know you. And the Lord replied, then, no matter what I decide to do, She is in my will. And if that is sufficient for me, let it be sufficient for you. Brandon was called to exercise hard faith. Why faith? He was called to exercise the faith that views the mystery of God through the lens of the character of God. That's the most important thing to know about why faith. There will always be some mystery about faith. We wouldn't need faith if there was no mystery and we knew it all. Think about it. It makes total sense to me that God will not always make total sense to me. You know what I mean? I need a God whose thoughts are above my thoughts. I need a God whose ways are greater than my ways. I need a God that is beyond me, that is above me, that is bigger than me. It makes total sense to me. The God will not always make total sense to me. And in those hard places where I'm thinking, why? I've learned to step back and think of the God that I know. You remember when the ice storm came in February and we were all in our houses for a week and I went stir crazy and I finally had to get out and go on a run so I dressed up warmly there was still ice and snow on the sidewalks and I learned quickly don't put your weight on an icy patch it will lead to a bad result find that spot in the walk where it's dry and there's no ice and snow and put all your weight on there. And that's what I've learned to do when I'm between the rock and a hard place. What do I know right now about you, God, where I can put all my weight? I don't view God through the chaos of why, but I view why through the character of God. So, uh, Dr. Paul Brand. A believer is a hand surgeon. He was in India at a leper colony. And if you know much about leprosy, it can attack your digits and your, your fingers can become stubs or you can lose them completely. And they asked Dr. Brand to speak. And so he did, and he was honest. He said, I'm a hand surgeon. I cannot not look at people's hands. I would have loved to have looked at the hands of Jesus. They would have been calloused from years of labor. They would have been mangled by the marks of the nails. Jesus would have had crippled hands. And as he spoke, these lepers began to raise their arms to the Lord. Somehow it brought them comfort to know in their suffering that their God Understands suffering. You've heard me say many times, not all religions are the same. There are many things about Christianity that are completely unique to every other religion, and here's one of them Christianity is the only religion who has a God who has suffered. Why faith remembers the cross, why faith remembers that Jesus hung between the rock and a hard place. And the only why that explains that is that God loves you that much. You can trust a God like that. So when life gets hard, my prayer is that your faith gets harder because Habakkuk learned it's the only way to truly live. Let me pray for you. So God, please increase our faith. And God, every person hearing my prayer right now has been through a hard season recently. But they're here. They chose to be here. Their very presence is saying, I don't want to pull away from God. I want to press in to God. So honor that God. In a powerful way, may your Holy Spirit speak. And I'm praying in the next two weeks, every single person will receive an insight, a revelation, something that assures them, God, that you do see, you do care, and that they are deeply, deeply loved. I pray for this blessing in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.